0: Good morning. Our panel today includes um, Dr. Lau from Stanford University and Daniel Shokes, who will be presenting the slides from um, Curtis Nickel. Here are our disclosures. The take home message from today and probably all the work that we're talking about in this session are that as our awareness of the urinary microbiota grows, we have to avoid antibiotic overuse and we need to change the paradigm from killing everything to modulating optimal health. The concept that urine is sterile is based on the observation that urine in a sealed container does not turn cloudy, while urine left open to air does. And this occurs for the simple reason that the microbes in urine are not don't grow under ambient air conditions, including aerobic and room temperature. And this misinterpretation of the results has guided a lot of our thoughts for the years. In the 1950s, a colony of 10 to the fifth was the dividing line between contamination and pyelonephritis. And as a result, standard urine cultures have been adopted um, for lower urinary tract infections. Next generation sequencing involves extracting DNA from the urine, amplifying the fourth variable region of the 16S gene, and using MySeq sequencing and bioinformatics to obtain the, the sequence. But the question always is, are these bacteria really alive? Our work expanded or enhanced um, urine cultures, where we took larger urine volumes, used different media, challenged or put the organisms and the cultures under different, more robust atmospheric conditions, and observed them for a longer time. For example, this is urine that was plated on a standard culture. And here it is, the same urine plated plated under enhanced culture techniques. The question, though, becomes, do enhanced cultures and does next-generation sequencing and the results that we get really improve patient outcomes? We have a study ongoing now at Loyola where we're randomizing 225 women with UTI symptoms to get clinical lab the clinical labs run using standard or enhanced cultures and we're treating based on these culture results participants report their symptoms at 7 days using the utiza and do you still feel like you have a uti and if yes then the transurethral catheterization specimen is sent for only expanded culture we've enrolled 175 women so far interim analysis did not show an obvious difference and so the enrollment continues
1: Good morning. My task this morning is to share with you some of the emerging technologies for rapid diagnosis of UTI, including bioluminescence, molecular biosensors, and cell-free DNA. These technologies are by no means, this list rather, is by no means exhaustive, but should highlight some of the salient points of the current state of art. Why the need for rapid diagnostic testing for UTI? It has been recognized that emergence of multidrug-resistant pathogens is a worldwide health crisis. In 2015, the US government put forth a national action plan to combat resistant bacteria that includes these important pillars to improve the antimicrobial stewardship, development of new antibiotics, and finally, faster and better diagnostics tests. For UTI, a faster test will not only expedite the diagnosis, It will decrease the use of broad spectrum antibiotics and also finally improve the workflow of clinical microbiology laboratory as urine is the most common clinical sample sent to the clinical laboratory. This is a diagram illustrating the current approach and the emerging technologies for UTI. The current approach as seen in the top panel is largely a one size fits all that includes a urinalysis, um, for um, screening purposes, an agar plating for bacterial isolation and identification that takes approximately a day, and finally, antimicrobial susceptibility testing, or AST, using typically automated platform, such as Vitek. The newer, the emerging technologies are characterized by that they're faster, they're also typically molecular-based using DNA probes or antibodies, and three, they're more integrated and automated in that they have a smaller footprint such that they may be deployed in the future in a point of care or near-patient um, setting, such as the clinic or still or in the laboratory for more comprehensive testing. Importantly, these technologies are also compatible with cl- uh, urine samples as opposed to uh, urine isolates. The goal is to rapidly achieve information that will provide us with individual tailored antibiotic therapy and thereby improving the antimicrobial stewardship. The first technology that I'll discuss is ATP bioluminescence, which is based on the premise that growing bacteria produces ATP. And luciferase is an enzyme that emits bioluminescence in the presence of luciferin, the substrate, and ATP. The more bacteria there are, the more light that's emitted, And this actually has been explored in the past dating back to the 60s, as well as a study in 2008. More recently, these investigators developed an integrated microfluidic cartridge with 384 reaction chambers and achieved pathogen identification with a panel of 13 antibodies targeting the most common uropathogens, as seen um, here on on, on the right. Detection of the uropathogens in urine samples could be achieved within 20 minutes with the detection limit down to 10 to the 3 CFU per mil. To determine the AST, they measure the ATP in the growth media containing with or without antibiotics, and up to eight antibiotics could be investigated at the same time and to to determine the resistance and the susceptibility within three to six hours. Ongoing studies are looking at um, this particular technology in a prospective fashion. Molecular biosensors um, simply put, convert molecular recognition events into detectable signals as seen here. My lab, along with our collaborators, have been developing an electrochemical biosensor array for UTI diagnostics. For pathogen identifications, we develop a panel of molecular probes targeting bacterial 16S ribosomal RNA, which is recognized as a bacterial fingerprint. For AST, we measure the 16S RNA level which is also a bacterial marker in growth media containing antibiotics or absence of particular antibiotics. In a recent prospective study, we looked at over 100 clinical samples, most of which derive from patients with Enterobacteriesia UTI and some negative samples as well. For pathogen identification, we achieved sensitivity of 98.5% and specificity close to 97%. Ciprofloxacin AST with minimum inhibitory concentration was also determined with the overall categorical agreement of 97.6%. Currently, uh, integration with microfluidic technologies are underway for clinical translation. Finally, urinary cell-free DNA, or CFDNA, they're released by host cells and microbes in the urinary tract also, And they're also from plasma-derived CFDNA that are filtered from the blood into the, um, into the urine. This group from Cornell published recently um, describing the sequencing strategy to identify urinary microbiome, antibiotic-resistant mechanism, graft injury, and host response in patients with kidney transplants. These are patients who are susceptible for not only to bacterial but also viral UTI. They looked at over the 140 urine samples from 82 patients and profiled both the bacterial and the viral microbiome in the urine. And here you can see that they identify CFDNA derived from BK virus and and correlated that with patients with biopsy-proven BK viral nephropathy. They also correlated uh, CFDNA derived from bacteria uh, with bacterial culture, and interestingly, they identify in a fair number of samples bacteria that did not grow in standard culture. Finally, to profile the antibiotic resistance mechanism, they focused their efforts to identify genes that confer vancomycin resistance in inner and which were present in the strains that were resistant to vancomycin, but absent in the patients with susceptible strains this is potentially a useful and a very very powerful tool for comprehensive analysis in these specialized patient populations. Thank you.
2: It's my pleasure to present the talk uh, from Curtis Nickel. Uh, My disclosures weren't on that slide, they're available on the website, and none applies to the content of this material. So next-generation sequencing is a robust research tool, but is it really ready for practical application in urology? So far, this has led to two major insights in urology. First of all, the urinary tract is definitely not a sterile system. And secondly, the normal, healthy, asymptomatic bladder has a large diversity of organisms, which may have protective and even beneficial functions and metabolic functions. And it gets complicated. The urinary microbiome is one of several throughout the body that have complex metabolic activity, especially the gut microbiome. We can find lots of bacteria in the urine which are the good ones, which are the bad ones, how do we sort this out? Well, there have been several research studies looking at the urinary microbiome. They've looked at uh, urinary incontinence, chronic prostatitis, and IC compared with controls. And in each case, no smoking gun, putative organism has been found. However, there are clear differences in abundance and diversity Uh, between the cases and controls. I did the chronic prostatitis study. I'm sure if Dr. Nichol knew I'd be giving his talk, he would have put the reference there. (laughs) Now the practical clinical application is before us, because in both the U.S. and Europe, there are commercial assays available to patients. However, has the technology outpaced our ability to interpret it? So here is a typical commercial report that you'll get. Within a couple days, you will get rapid screening of the PCR results, which is just for specific tested microorganisms. A few days later, you get comprehensive screening, the full NGS, and then you get antibiotic gene resistance summary. Although I have been unable to find data showing what the concordance is, between the bacterial resistance genotype and the actual phenotype. So let's look at three cases where next-generation sequencing might have an impact. First case, a 26-year-old woman, recurrent UTI. Cultures show mixed growth. A catheterized specimen, while symptomatic, is sent for NGS and you get a report like this. So we see with the rapid screening indeed uh, E. coli and enterococcus are found and with the comprehensive identification the main microorganism is E. coli and there are resistant genes to quinolones. Does this help us manage the patient? Well possibly. We now know that E. coli is probably the major player and that resistance to quinolones is likely. How about another woman with progressive interstitial cystitis? Cultures show mixed growth and there have been no response to multiple courses of antibiotics. You send off the urine and you get this rather complicated result. Pseudomonas is detected on rapid screening and with comprehensive identification you see a number of difficult to pronounce bacteria with E. coli being on the top of the list and multiple antibiotic resistance genes. So what do we do with this information? Almost certainly these bacteria are not the drivers of pain in this condition, but rather the effect of multiple unnecessary courses of antibiotics that have disrupted the urinary microbiome. Therefore, treating this patient with more antibiotics would not be helpful and probably harmful. Finally, a case of a 42-year-old man with chronic prostatitis, pre- and post-prostate massage cultures, Uh, have been unhelpful, which I assume means they've been negative. His symptoms improve when on antibiotics and we've sent off an express prostate massage specimen. What we see, no bacteria on rapid screening and some E. coli detected on sequencing and no resistance. So, how do we use this data? I have to admit here I diverge a little bit from Dr. Nichols' interpretation. His point here was that perhaps a prolonged course of antibiotics with an antibo- that will penetrate the prostate might be helpful. I'm a little skeptical for two reasons. First of all it says the symptoms improve but don't go away on antibiotics and in my experience that's due to the anti-inflammatory effects of the antibiotic and not due to killing bacteria and I've treated a number of men now that are culture negative, NGS positive and I've yet to see a positive result. But again we need data, we need to understand what's going on here. So, what are the pros and cons in 2019 of next generation sequencing? It can provide accurate description of the patient's microbiome, but it may provide too many details. It might be able to rule out infection, however, it may invent infections. It provides targets for antibiotics, but it may promote antibiotic overusage. We don't have a crisis of antibiotic underusage in the United States at the moment. It may let us wisely choose antibiotic therapy, but it again could also promote increased antibiotic overusage. It could lead to increased understanding of the impact of the microbiome. However, the impact of the microbiome may be too complicated for single one-time urinary tests. So, Dr. Nichols' opinion: next generation sequencing is becoming more than just a research tool and we must be ready to take the leap from the petri dish to a genomics approach. The NGS findings have to be correlated with the clinical picture. Let's not invent infections. In many cases, we will not find a single putative bug, but rather an individual microbial ecological dysbiosis. And we need to learn how to interpret this. We don't know yet. We must learn how to interpret it through metadata analyses of specimens from urologic conditions in which the microbiome might be implicated, and especially compared to asymptomatic subjects, just as we did when we got that initial 10 to the 5 per ml. And finally, we need to correlate with clinical outcome data analysis. Thank you.